Hello and welcome to episode 101 of Fergo on the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And joining me as always is the glorious League Freak. You can find on Twitter at League Freak. How are you going today, mate? I'm going very well. Uh, it's good to get to episode 101 and uh, power and odds to 100 now. Absolutely. We've raised the bat. We've now done 100 episodes together. Yeah, yeah. It's been good. And- and uh, thanks to Nadine for that one episode she did when I wasn't around. Yeah, she she did she did well in that episode. We'll have to get her back on soon. Absolutely. Now there's been some big news this week. I mean we've covered most of it already, but a bit more came out afterwards. Um, so I'll just read from this article. It's on the uh, the NRL dot com website. Okay. The likes of NRL CEO Todd Greenberg, incoming ARL Commission Chairman Peter Vlandes and his predecessor Peter Beattie, Kangaroos coach Mal Meninga, club coaches Ivan Cleary and Paul Green, and rugby league expert League Freak will be some of the dozen people in a special committee that will assemble next week where any and all ideas will be explored in the name of improving the game. How'd, well, how'd you get that gig, mate? Well, you know, they said the likes of. And yeah. when I saw that, I was I got in contact with them and said, hey, I'm like me. And they're like, hey, yeah. And they did some more research and they're like, you know what? We've looked into it and you are a lot like you. So they invited me in and uh, we're going to discuss the in-depth need and really something that the game can't go without. And that is changing the rules again. Yeah, you've got to change them. There's so many issues with the rules this year apparently, yeah. that we need to go and change them all. Now, the one that seems to be getting a lot of attention, because it was there was so much conjecture around it this year, apparently, I mean, I missed it, but anyway, um, is Golden Point. Yes. Well, you know, Golden Point, we, <coughs> we brought in a system where we wanted to make sure we had, well, try to make sure we had winners for games. And it seems to work, but it only seems that way. And so, obviously, it needs changed because it needs changed. Is it because Matthew John said he wanted it changed? Well, he's one of the game's leading thinker. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the John's brothers, they're really at the cutting edge of think in the NRL. And, you know, when they think something, you've got to look into it. They are known for having really... In-depth thinks too. Yeah, they they think hard and a lot. And, um, yeah, you can't go past their think power. They must be pretty happy that this is finally getting discussed by some of the elites in the NRL community. Yeah, and also Todd Greenberg and Peter Beattie and Peter Volandis as well. Um, so the first, the first topic that's come up about Golden Point is... Mm. Um, this novel concept, which seems to come from the NFL, the right of reply. Yes. Well, I mean, first of all, you've got to look at it this way. When a rugby league team receives the ball from the kickoff um, in Golden Point, they basically are allowed to do what they want. Like, there's no way to basically have a right of reply to their attack in any way. Um and so when they do inevitably score, like you should be able to reply to that in some way. There should be some sort of defense to that. You know what I mean? Defense to that, yeah. Defense. Yeah. 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 So you get if, it. If, 
if there was some way that you could prevent them from scoring, yeah, would, would that not be seen as a right to reply? Do you think, or is that just being a bit foolish? No, no, that is foolish. That right of reply. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so does that mean that the team that has the right to reply has to score? It, well, what it means is, right, if you kick the ball off, okay, mm. or even, you know, just say have a couple of sets of six, if you allow the opposition after more than 80 minutes of football to cross your line or kick a goal or a field goal or something, in doing so, you have earned the right to reply to that. Like, right, so you're, right. like, people see a failure in defence as being a failure in defence and, and something that should cost you the game. That's not how rugby league should be. A failure to defend should give you... Uh, you should have earned something through that. And so there's the right to reply for your failure. Okay, so, yeah, failing is is rewarded? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Okay. Okay. It's I, a, I, it's I a very system. simple... I know it sounds complicated, right? But it's a very simple system once you, you break it down. So does this system go on, like, infinity? So if the, if the opposition who scored first then mm-hmm. concedes points, mm-hmm. do they then get the right to respond to the right of reply? Because their failure deserves to be rewarded as well, surely. I, I see where you're coming from, right? But... In in wanting to simplify things, what needs to be understood is that the right of reply is only brought into effect in certain instances. So it's not like there's something that's all... It's not like, you know, we don't want to, to have a fluid game. We don't want to have a game that's easy to sit down and watch and understand. What we want to do is have this moment where if there was somebody that, was, that wasn't a rugby league fan they were just a general sports fan and they were watching it, you would have to explain it to them because when you've got to explain something in depth to them and say, well, like I, I understand that they failed in stopping the team from scoring, but now they've re- they're rewarded with the right to reply, but only in this certain circumstance. And people find that really exciting. So there's only one right of reply, which means it's, it's, it's unfair or is that does it or is the right of reply deemed to be um a counter to winning the toss for extra time well the right of reply is basically the idea is that once you've because it's hard to get the ball from a set of downs and so the right of reply allows you to have a response to the other team's set of downs because it's a right of reply. Okay. So yeah. so at the end of, of extra time. Oh, yeah. Um I I assume then that everyone will get a participation award. Well what what'll happen is and basically we're simplifying a complicated system where we play extra time and if one team scores the game is over, right? So yeah. we're getting rid of that. But what we're going to bring in is this thing where we play extra time to find a winner 
And if one team scores, the other team gets a right of reply. But if they get that right of reply and then they score, then we what we'll do with the point system is we're thinking of like sharing the points so each team gets a point. Okay, so that's that's the the end result is yeah is no result like they used to have. No, because there's they they were given a right of reply and that we've got to the, a result out of the right of reply. Right, gotcha. Yeah. Um it, it sounds look it's it's simplifying an overly complicated scenario that we have right now. It sounds very uh, thorough too, though. I mean, you're making sure that everyone's got an opportunity here to win a game. Yeah. And everyone also has the same opportunity to draw the game. No, no, we're not having draws. We we don't want draws. But we are, we've got the right of reply. And so, like, because what you've got to understand, and, and this is something that's a lot of people are going to find it really hard to understand, okay? I'm struggling here. I'm struggling. Yeah. It, it's all right. It's all right. All right. Because what what we're bringing in is this concept where a team has the opportunity to win a football game in extra time, um, and they need some time to do that. And, and obviously, they need more time to do that. And if one team fails in that extra time, they get a right of reply, which allows them to have even more time to win the football game. But with the right of reply... They'll they'll have the sense of satisfaction of knowing that there there was the ability within them to win the football game, but they didn't. Okay, I've I've got a hypothetical. Okay. Okay. What if? Okay, you got ten minutes of extra time. Yeah. No points are scored for mm. nine minutes and fifty nine seconds, and yeah. then one team kicks a field goal. Bang! That's it. Extra time's over. Do we have to go through another ten minutes so that the other team can have a right to reply? Well, I mean, look, the, we're trying to move away from having arbitrary things like game time. And this has been trialled in International Rugby League recently, it where has. we just play, you know, 105 minutes in the international games. And uh, well done to uh, Ireland and, and Spain for doing that that test. But, yeah, like the, the idea that there is a set number of minutes in a game in which you're afforded the opportunity to win that contest, it doesn't sit comfortably with anyone, I don't think. So, no no shot clock. This is quite revolutionary, to be honest. Yeah. Look, that, basically, what the NRL has found is that the idea that you've got an opportunity to win a sporting contest in a set number of minutes... It doesn't pass the pub test, and so they're bringing in the right of reply and golden point. Ah, uh, the, the tried and true pub test. Yeah, the, you you know, the man on the street, people are saying, you know, people mm. are saying. People are saying on the, to the man on the street in the about in, the pub in, test. In the pub test, yeah. That's right. all, all I keep hearing from people in the street talking about the pub test. Now, another rule that's come along, yeah. is there's talk that um, the NRL is going to look at the five-minute sin bin, which was one idea I believe some some clown at the Telegraph came up with. Yeah, and this one's this one's like this one's really easy to understand for anybody that's going to attack it, okay? Because 
You know how now, if you keep on infringing in the play, you can get a, a play sent to the ten for ten minutes, and that's a it's quite a penalty ten minutes. Yeah. Well, we're going to half that. Okay, so a, a half a penalty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the the sin bin needs to be remembered to be a deterrent to teams, and if they understand that that deterrent now has less of a penalty they're going to be more likely to just stick to the rules of the game right. and not infringe. At that rate, would it not be wiser to have a one-minute sin bin? I mean, I know you'd have to work with the umpiring, uh, yeah. the, the referee signals, because the, the referee then put his finger up and people think he's umpiring cricket. Yeah. So maybe we need to do something different there, but maybe a one-minute sin bin. Every time there's a penalty, just put someone in the sin bin for a minute. Well, we've looked at things like that. I mean, we, we were looking at the two-minute sim binning, but it, it looked a bit um, off. And then we looked at the one-minute sim binning, and, it, like, we looked at tried different fingers. One of them was obviously offensive. Another one, it looked like there was hitchhiking. Um, so we start with five because, it, like, when you put your hand up in the air, like straight up in the air, if you do the, the signal now, you put your hand up in the air like that, there's nothing offensive about one hand like saluting up in the air like that. Could, it, um, could a team mistake it for six again? Uh, look, there's that or, possibility. Or actually, actually, maybe not six again, but maybe last tackle. Th- there's that possibility that it could be seen as the last tackle or even six again, as you say. But we've, We've looked into that, and that's that just doesn't occur. So I don't think that's something to worry about, to be honest. Like, that, that's fair there's no ambiguity about when six again has has ever been signalled. So that's not a problem. It's not something the referees ever going to, you know, make a make a mistake with either. Anyway, no referees don't make mistakes. No. Um, well, unless you talk to uh, Graham Annesley. Yeah. But he's not. He he won't be involved in uh, this meeting of the, this mind meld. Um, he wanted to. He wanted to be. I haven't replied to him yet. I bet he wanted to be. <laughs> yeah. We're, what we're thinking of doing is allowing him to do the PowerPoint presentation because it'll take about three and a half hours to uh, explain this really simple system for Golden Point that's been brought in. Right. Um, another system being brought in. Or being being put up to be discussed. Mm. Is this one that's been around for a while? The Captain's Challenge. Now, this was yeah. used in the uh, the NYC several years ago. Yeah. And the one criticism I found of it was in the last five, ten minutes of a game, mm. the coach would save up all of their challenges until that period. So then you had this period of the game at the end when mm. teams were vying for a victory. Yeah. And the game was being stopped every 35 seconds for these captains and all coach challenges and whatever else. Um, seemed a bit counterintuitive to me. Yeah, look, I, I know it feels like it's not exciting and it's stupid. Um, like, I, I know when you watch the games, especially when it comes time to decide whether to tap the ball or kick a goal, and a lot of the times you see the players on the, the team, they'll turn to the bench and they'll let the bench know, and it takes a while, but they'll let the bench know, oh, we're going for two, or we're tapping the ball. And they just, like, you know, communicate that, and then they do that. Um, because all the captains always have full control of what's going on on the field, 
and it just makes everything so streamlined. So, yeah, I think the captain's challenge will be great. And, yeah, like you say, you get, I don't know, one challenge or two challenges a game. It's great because there's never more than one or two moments in the game that could be challenged. I'm just thinking that the uh, the the, the um, example you referred to there of the when they got a penalty goal and they looked to the bench. Yeah. When you, when you have the captain's challenge, I assume that's going to be happening again. Then it's going to be kind of like watching a contestant on The Price is Right looking out to the crowd for an answer. Yeah, like there'll be... Well, it's funny you mention that, right? Because there was talk that we could have like, you know, on The Price is Right where they've got the dude and he's climbing up the, the hill and mm-hmm. they do the price and then he goes like the yodeling starts yep. and the little man starts going up the hill. Looked at that. Uh, decided against that because we didn't want to get people too excited. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're just going with the old yelling out. So, so it's we... going to be good. And it's not going to break their play down at all. Like, people think it's going to stop play and make it really awkward and shit. None of that's going to happen at all. It'll just be really smooth and stuff. And, you know, play will stop and the teams will consult with every man and his dog and they'll have a look at the replay themselves on the big screen and stuff. Won't stop play at all. Will will the game consider bringing in a expert to do with this, like perhaps Larry Emder? We looked at Larry. Larry was too expensive though. He's uh, got a gig. Yeah, he's got a gig on uh, a seven morning show. He is uh, surprisingly a lot of money thrown over to Moira to um, you know show you the latest carpet carpet cleaning solutions. So we couldn't afford Larry. Um, and that's why we, we just decided to go more organic because everything about rugby league needs to be organic and needs like the beauty of rugby league is that it's a flowing contest. It's a, and so what we wanted to happen was that in the flow of the game for it to all stop and for everyone to consult everyone and look at the replay on the screen and then consult the referee that you then want to go to the video referee. Now, uh, speaking about looking at the screen, Yes. Um, another idea that I was looking at there is Hawkeye technology and mm. simulated offside lines on the field to determine whether players are offside or not. Now, having watched the game for many, many years, mm-hmm. I can't recall the last time there was an uproar over referees making a mistake with players being offside. Yeah. Is this something that's really necessary? Well, when we all sat down to talk about these issues in the game, we looked at any problems that there were in the game and then we talked about where there might not be problems in the game and how we could fix the problems that weren't there. And so this is a fix to a problem that wasn't there. Ah, it's like a patch. Pretty much, yeah. It's like patching. It's like, you know, when your computer starts up and it happens all smoothly and then, you, you know, you would have a patch that would come in to fix that. In case it didn't happen anyway, even though it was. I see, I see. Yeah. Um, so with the, the line that will go on the field. Yeah. If the player, how, how would it work? Is is the line deemed to be like, uh, well, it's, it's, if, you, if you step on it, you're over the line or you're behind the line? Is your, is a, how thick will the line be in comparison with the player's foot? Well, that's one of the issues we're looking at, the girth of the line. Because the, it's all about the girth. 
like people think it's about the length, but it's more the girth that we're we're interested in. So we're we're studying what is the ideal girth for rugby league. Um, there's been a lot of different answers. Weirdly enough, it's different between the men's and women's game as well. Like they, the we talked, we consulted the the women's side of the game too. They liked a different um, girth than the men's game did. So once we find the right girth, um, it should be all pretty pretty much smooth sailing from there. We'll be able to, you know, insert it into the to the game perfectly. Nice. Um... Mm. Would would you be looking at using Hawkeye technology elsewhere in the game? I, mean, um, I don't really know where you could, but I mean, if you bring it in technology for mm. offside, then maybe you can use it everywhere else. You could probably use it to determine, uh, I don't know, something to do with kicks, maybe, or if players yeah, well, are running off a line, and and you know, you could probably chase their line and find out whether they've gone off their line to you know escort or shepherd or stuff like that. Yeah. Well, like. In, in, you want to speed the game up. You want it to flow, and, and and that's the main thing. You always want want it to flow. You want a good flow, and so in doing that, what we're looking at doing is bringing in Hawkeye with the ideal girth, but then adding extra Hawkeye technology. And what we want to do is get to a point where we can use Pythagoras's theorem to work out where the tries are scored or not, because we think that'd simplify everything. Now, I do have a, a, an issue with that. Uh-huh. I feel that could lead to a bit of bias towards the Dragons. And, and why is that? Because they don't like scoring from kicks? They don't yeah, believe in it? That's right. Yeah. Well, they also think that they don't, they, they don't count as much. And so this could actually reduce the score in games where the Dragons are playing and give the Dragons a chance of winning. I'm not saying they're going to win, but I'm just saying that it could increase their chances of winning those, those tighter games. Yeah, I, I I agree, um, and like, I mean, you've got to look at everything. Yeah, you, like you can't take anything off the table, and so like, and I know the dragons have taken like scoring from kicks off the table, and and they're allowed to do that. You can play rugby league however you want it, whether you want to play it well or poorly. Um, so they've also yeah, taken. They've also taken tries off tap-ons and bat-ons and off the sixth tackle off the table as well. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're making the game a bit more um, a bit more trickier, I guess, to score in. Well, traditional. It's like you want to play the game in the way it was meant to be played. And, you know, a lot of people think that means attacking football and having structure and things like that, and it doesn't necessarily mean that. No, it means soccer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That that that's where McGregor wants to go. Would that be a rule that would only would that would apply more solidly to Dragons games than anyone else, just to keep Mary happy so he can get another contract? Well, like, and this has been talked about amongst the Brains Trust as well. Every game is different, and every team is different, and as a result, you know these games are just refereed differently. Oh, that's that's. We've been told about that quite a bit of late. Yeah, the, but the aim is to be consistent in the way that teams are refereed differently. Okay. Mm. Now, I see, too, that uh, Ivan Cleary will be uh, one of the 12 people involved in this uh, discussion. Yeah. What's, are there any sort of um, 
suggestions you think that Ivan Cleary might come forward with? Because obviously they're going to be biased towards helping Penrith. Um, not that he's going to say that, but, you know, mm. it'd be silly not to assume that. Do you yeah, reckon there's anything he brings to the table that might might uh, be worth talking about? Um, well, th- I mean, look, Ivan come up with this idea that the middle of the field should be eliminated and it should just be backs that have go forward. Um, I, I, I just don't think that's going to get much momentum, kind of like his forwards. So we'll have to see how that well, works out. Kind of playing the game on two two separate fields with a with an out of bounds strip in the middle of the field. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like making the middle of the field completely useless. Uh and and yeah. The other thing he had an idea of was that you spend as much on your reserve grade team as you do your first grade team. He said that it, it's worked well previ- at previous clubs he's been at. Um, and, yeah, so we'll see how that, that pans out. Well, that's nice of him. He's, he's, he's keen on wage equality. Yeah, that's true. Well, and that's the whole thing. Like, this idea that some of your highest-paid players should be just first-grade players doesn't necessarily cut it in this day and age of equality for everything. Um, and, and sometimes you do want to be spending millions of dollars on players that aren't first-graders. So I assume then that um, salary cap uh, conversation may or may also come up in this meeting? Most likely, yeah. Um, after all of the medical retirements have been signed off on. Um, and are there, are you know, there many more of those left? <laughs> well, funnily enough, you know what? It sounds weird, it, it, and it just must be the way that, you know, sometimes things work out. But once one player was allowed to be medically retired, all of a sudden, all of these players have career-ending injuries that are older players on big money that clubs would normally just have to burn their salary cap. And now they don't have to because these players are all having to be medically retired. All of a sudden, it's it's a little bit of coincidence. But, you know, these things happen. It, it does, it does. Um, now, there, are there any other rule changes or changes to the game or the salary cap, anything at all to do with the game that you'd be considering bringing into the, you know, bringing to the table, I guess, for this big meeting next week? Um, well, not so much rule changes, but can, can I just take a moment to say, Sam Burgess, what a wonderful ornament to the game. Um, I don't think people realise everything that he did in the game was pure and beautiful and he's a beautiful man and I love him and we all love him and I just wanted to say that but outside of that no we don't I mean it's hard to it's hard to come up with ideas because NRL 360 is finished for the year so I mean like where do you get your ideas from I don't know where else you're supposed to get your ideas from I like when all of the Matty Johns isn't talking about footy anymore. NRL 360's finished. Phil Rothfield's on holiday. And so there are no more ideas. So we don't have any new ideas to talk about. Well, it might be an idea. This is this is just me spitballing here, okay? Okay. Is this it's... just you, though, or is it like the man in the street that you've got this from in the pub? Because t- I've, I've got to run this through the pub test first. 
We'll, we'll go with Man on the Street. Okay. I was on a street the other day. Okay. So we, we can make that work. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to need to line up the timelines a bit. But, yeah, we can make that work. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps you could probably approach someone who doesn't do much work during the during the year but is involved in rugby league and has some opinions. Sure, there are other people's opinions, but he's, he expresses them himself. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe approach Paul Crawley and see if he's actually got an original idea because we never know. It might actually be a good one. It's, you know what? It's funny you mention that because there was a, a bunch of emails and stuff that were received by the National Rugby League and that they were recommendations for basically the same thing. Um, and it was from someone called Fran. And they basically said that Paul Crawley is a wonderful man and a, a real thinker uh, in the game and somebody that had forthright ideas and that, like, these ideas were so good that they were given the thumbs up by Paul Kent sometimes. So, yeah, there, there is the thought that you could bring someone like him in and because he's an ideas man, you know, he, he's always got fantastic ideas, even if they are Phil Rothfields. So, yeah, there's the thought of doing that as well. Because you've got to have partners in the game. One of the game's great partners is the media, because the media does so much for rugby league. Um, oh, promote it. So know, much great work. Wonderful work. Wonderful people, too. I'd even argue that the game wouldn't be where it is today if it hadn't have been for the great work of the media over the years. Yeah, well, like, think of... I mean, rugby league didn't really exist until, you know, Foxtel and Sharon yeah. Iron. So when, without media, the, the, like, sport just doesn't exist. That's right, and, and journalists play a big role in that. The massive role, massive, like, massive role. They're like promotional people. Yeah, they're basically extra. They're like an extra arm of the NRL in that their promotion of the game is just a. It's something that that needs to be recognised, and we recognise them by inducting them into the Hall of Fame alongside people that, you know, do things like play the game. <laughs> yeah. One thing I was going to ask, um, Peter Beattie's time as ARLC chairman is coming to a close soon. Yeah. Um, is there any chance that he might be getting some rather expensive jewellery or something like that, or has Todd not signed off on any of that yet? Well, it's I don't think it's up to Todd to sign off on it. Like, Peter Beattie's the boss. He's the boss boss. Oh, so he can sign it? He, yeah, pretty much. Um, well, that, that cuts out a bit of administration drama. Yeah, it does. And the good thing about Peter Beattie and all the work he's done, because Peter Beattie um, joined the ARL um, board and then b- become chairman, and he went on a tour consulting with everyone, and at the end of that consultation tour was decided to stand down. And so Peter Volandis will come in and take his place, and Peter Volandis will do a tour to consult the uh the people within the game see what they want we'll see where that ends up peter also has had the fantastic idea he said that um you know in his time as the arl chairman he saw that there was a need to expand the game and especially into queensland have more expansion teams in queensland 
and he just wished that he was in a position to make that happen. So it was nice for to hear Peter say that. Ah, uh, so he's, he's been a bit hamstrung, has he, by um, yeah. red tape? Well, I, yeah, and like, I know he was the boss of all the bosses and the head of the game in his Australian game, but he he just didn't have the authority to there's make of, anything happen. There's a lot of stakeholders in the game. Yeah, yeah, and he had to consult with them all and and you know run it by them rather than make a decision himself as the ultimate chairman of the entire Australian Rugby League. I see, I see. Well, this looks like it's going to be an absolutely stunning meeting. Yeah, it's um, going to be good. Is there any anyone you wish was coming in along to, to be involved in the process that's not, not on the list? Um, I'd like to see one of the game's great tacticians brought in, in Matthew Elliott. Uh, not so much for his tactical nous in rugby league, which is unquestioned. Um, but more just because he's he's got a nice selection of chai tea and you know that always goes down well he's a nice bloke too he's a really nice bloke you look at all of the players that played under him for many 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 years that like didn't matter how well or or poorly they played they played under him and just got first grade starts all the time they loved him great guy you won't hear anyone say a bad word about him. Not a bad, not a single bad word. No. See, um, so yeah, I'm just trying to think if there was any other rules that need to be looked at. Is there anything else? I think another one that was on the list was yeah. uh, about trainers and whether they were spending too much time on the field and whether the rules need to be changed about if they get involved in the play. Yeah, well, the, I mean, every rule that's been brought in has been to make sure that trainers don't affect the play. Um, at whatsoever. Like, the last thing we want is for trainers to be able to completely stop a game of rugby league, for instance. We don't want anything like that. So we're looking at only allowing the trainers to be on the field between from the moment that the game kicks off to half time, and then as soon as half time kicks off, right until the last moment that the right of reply has come in. Um, so outside of that, the trainers won't be allowed on the field. Right. I was thinking maybe you could um, find a way, I guess, to, I suppose, limit the, the amount of times they come on the field yeah. by instilling a bit of fear into them. And so like, every time they run onto the field, just say, we'll pull a pin out of a grenade underneath your seat. That's a good idea, actually. Like physically threaten them with violence. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, and that way they'll go right. If I stay in my seat, yeah, no grenades will go off. Well, what we want to do is try and incentivize the teams to not have their players, their their trainers out there. So, <clears throat> what we we're looking at was basically when a trainer is about to go out in the field, we strap a claymore mine on it to their chest. And I was then just we thinking. The... Of, I kid you not. I was just thinking about the claymore mine idea. I yeah. think that's a good one. Yeah, because if they're out there for longer than, say, four or five minutes, it goes off and it kills everyone within about 20-metre radius. And that'll just be an incentive. You've got to give the right incentive, you know? Yeah. But that, that could get messy, though. Well, if it does, you just medically retire everyone. <laughs> that would work. 
Yeah. I <laughs> mean, in some way, that's, and that's why we, we have to talk these things over because then you've got to worry about salary cap implications of things like that, you see. It's, it's very complicated. It is, especially if the Claymores have to come under each club's uh, salary cap as well, because they probably should. You'd think so. Um, we've also looked at things like getting some, uh, like, you know how the trainers, a lot of the time, they'll run in from the side of the field. What we were thinking of doing is having only designated areas that they could run in from, and in the other areas where they're not allowed to run in from, well, we're going to get some Viet Cong to dig some pits and cover them over and stuff like that so that there were, like, spikes in the bottom of them and things like that. There's a lot of things to discuss, really, at this meeting. It's it's going to be good. Can, can I offer a alternative to that? Mm-hmm. Instead of the pits, you could just yeah. have snipers on top of the building. That way you don't have to go around digging holes everywhere. Yes, yeah, snipers is a good one. Um, another thing that was <clears throat> trialled in International Rugby League to sort of... Uh, bringing in an attrition rate into the game was to make everyone walk to the game for, you know, 15, 20 minutes and to feed Mate, them. Mate, that's, that's hellish. You can't do that. No, well, I mean, we've got to bring in attrition back to rugby league. So, um, yeah, making them walk to the game. Uh, getting tackled has been looked at. Don't like tackling. There's a lot of uh, we've had requests from the Irish Rugby League to look at like tackling. Um, that's one thing, and also um, feeding players meat and potatoes. Meat and We're potatoes. Gonna, yeah, instead of a salary cap, we'll feed some players meat and potatoes, and uh, as, as opposed as opposed to what they normally have. Yeah, which is like uh, lentils, um, tofu. That's what they players normally eat. It's a little known fact. R- it, the rugby league runs on tofu. People don't realise it. We we are the single biggest ex uh, importer of tofu in the world, just based on the NRL. Wow. Yeah. Do you know how much tofu, uh, like someone like Andrew Fafita, goes through in a day? Oh, 12 kilos? At least. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty You say you, you learn something new every time on here. This is fantastic. Yeah. It's like revealing what's going on behind the curtain. These are the things, These are the things the man on the street does, doesn't know. Hey. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And these are things that need to be, I suppose, thrashed out in meetings like this yeah. so that they can then be put put forward in the pub test See how yeah. they go. See if they pass the pub test. How exactly. do you pass the pub test, by the way? That's a curious one for me. Uh, does it have to get drunk? Like, does if people get drunk considering it and yeah. they're happy drunk, yeah. is that a pass? Theoretically, like, uh, none of us have actually been to a pub, so we don't really know. But we still invoke the pub test anyway. Like, there's different things. Like, for instance, like with all this medical retirement stuff, right, people think it's controversial that what happens when someone that does an athletic activity is getting a bit too old, they're not really good at their athletic activity, and they kind of, it's time to put them out to pasture, right? Mm. People think medical retirement's a, a 
are an interesting way to deal with it. Should have heard what Peter Volandis put forward. Damn, it was extreme. But at the same time, I guess it was it was cost cutting. It would have cut down the amount of overheads that the game had, and what clubs had to pay out. I guess if a player retired um, well, before the contract ended. Yeah, well, you know what? The weird thing, not only cost cut, cut, cutting costs, but being able to make money out of the way that you did it, it's really interesting. We had to scrap it though. Controversial. It, yeah it it didn't uh, didn't pass the pub test. Ah, people got drunk and unhappy about it. Yeah, that is a, that is a problem. You can't have unhappy drugs because then you've just got AFL. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but unhappy drugs, especially you know, we we don't have the racism element that the AFL does. But yeah, yeah, we we don't want to go bringing that in by having or the meth drugs. usage. <laughs> this is right. This is right. Um, so one last thing I'll get you to talk about. Got nothing to do with this this meeting here. Um, okay. Sam Burgess has retired. Yeah. Um, and he's had a lot of glowing praise uh, about his career. Yep. Um, a career where he spent quite a lot of his time going to the judiciary and being suspended. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, there's were some comments saying that he was a trailblazer for English players. Yeah, I can't remember any English players in rugby league before Sam Burgess, eh? Um, and he was uh, like... It, he was a once-in-a-generational forward, apart from the other forwards that were in his same generation that were as good, if not better, than him. And, like, there's a long list of those players. Is it because he's just got that that Northern English accent that makes him once-in-a-generation? Are you suggesting that people overrate English players just based on the fact that they're English? No, not the fact that he's English. It's the fact that he's just got a Northern accent. <laughs> ah, um... That because that... there's, there's there's been English players in the game before who have earned such high praise. Yeah. Like like uh, Bob Fulton, Ian Roberts. Yes. Uh, those two come immediately to mind. Well, the current man of steel, Jackson Hastings. Fantastic player. Yeah. Rangy Chase. Chris Hyington. I mean, there's so many of them. Pino was fantastic, though. It, it really mean... was. You know, he actually won two premierships, and both of them were the first for each club. There you go. Like, you know what? Chris Hyington was a trailblazer. And you, you know the other thing about Chris Hyington? He was a trailblazer not only on the field but off it because no one gave a post-grand final speech to the media quite like Chris Hyington. No, his delivery was, was uh, fucking glorious. It really was. It was Shakespearean. It was. It was. He was fantastic. All right. Well, um, I guess that wraps up this uh, this rather revealing look inside what's going to be happening at NRL HQ next week. Yeah, it's going to be good. I think that uh, there'll be a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, it's, it, there'll be a lot of positive things coming out of it. You know, it'll be like uh, the back door at Charlie Sheen's house. Novel. <laughs> Very novel. Um, so I take it the the end results of the meeting will be leaked to the media before the NRO releases it? I mean, that's generally how the pub test thing starts, isn't it? Oh, 100%. I mean, where do you think we're getting our meeting notes from? <laughs> Fucking telegraph. <laughs> it's, just, it's a way of putting the feelers out before you actually commit to anything. Yeah, we don't, we don't come up with any of this shit. 
We just do what we're told. <laughs> and, and let the pub test do do the work. Exactly, exactly. That's where all the all the hard work is happens in rugby league. I see too on the uh, the article about this that the NRL would be looking at the or this committee, special committee that you're a part of, would be looking at the results of the NRL poll. Would they also be looking at the results of the Fergo and the Freak poll that was also done around the same time? Well, when the NRL looks for consultation from the community. They like to go away from any consultation that comes from, like, the community. So the Fergo and the Freak poll won't be used. But the poll that was put on the NRL website itself will be used because it was very in-depth and wasn't leading towards any conclusions at all in any of the questions that were asked. So between that and you know reading the telegraph that should be enough and then any decisions that are made can just be forced on everyone and it'll be good right that does sound very thorough yeah you've got to be thorough in these things um you know otherwise you make mistakes and you know it just gets to it just gets to a point where you don't want to be spinning your wheels and going over the same old ground again and again. Um, as as Peter Volandi said, you don't want to be flogging a dead horse. That's a good. That's a good statement he made, though. He's absolutely right there. He's a good bloke. I love him. Uh, you reckon he's going to be a great influence on the NRL? Uh, we'll see what happens once the the consultation consultation period is finished he'll consult with uh all of the the game's shareholders uh lots of people that attend morning teas um politicians um is he a morning tea type uh well he has to be now he has to be uh if he if he wants to run the game and he he's a he's a good operator he'll know what to do in that regard so He'll uh, he'll start attending morning teas and and awards ceremonies and and all that sort of stuff that's really important to the game. I got one idea for you to take to the to the meeting if it's at all possible. Yeah, is there any chance that the morning tea routine gets cut back a little bit just to save on costs and to give the actual head of the game a bit more time to actually run the game? No, that won't be happening. If okay. anything, it will be expanded and. Uh, you know, we want to honour people within the game that are directly involved in the game. Um, but we also want to have more morning teas. So that's what we're going for. Because morning tea um, is nice. Uh, tea is nice. And on a morning, it's nice. And so there's going to be more morning teas. We're basically looking to bring in a morning tea anytime there's a morning I've got another idea then. Yeah. If we're gonna have if we're gonna keep with the morning teas, is yeah. there any chance that the morning teas could be held at pubs at the same time that the tests are done there? Wow, that's a good cost cutting measure that would be. Like, you know what we could do? We could instead of importing the tea for the mornings, we could just use whatever uh, beverages the pub has. So go to the pub on the morning 
and just drink whatever they have available on the morning and make our decisions um, during that time. Yeah, well, I mean, you'd have to wait there until everyone gets in after they've finished their jobs, which is going to be like 6 or 7 o'clock at night time. Yeah, so that's true. You're going to have to true. stay there until then before you can even put the test on them and, and get their responses to it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that maybe that's the way forward. I'll put that to all of them um, and see what they come up with. Um, possibly it might even be an idea of actually getting the NRL headquarters to have an actual pub downstairs. Yeah. Well, I think that any time that rugby league can be linked up more heavily with pub and pub culture, I think it's only a good thing. And that's the, that passes the pub test when you say that. Um, passes the pub test, and man, on a straight loves that. Absolutely. Well, this has been very, very fascinating. Can't wait to see the results of this uh, this conference uh, next yeah. week. Yeah, I'm just glad that I can, in my capacity as a, a rugby league expert, that I can bring this insight to people's lives about what happens behind closed doors and, and things like that. The inner um, workings of the grand machine. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's how the sausage is made, as Peter says. There you go. Except the sausages in Canberra on Grand Final Week, they were a bit off colour. Yeah, they were they were green, mm. and I I didn't understand that. I've never ever want wanted to eat a green sausage. No, everything about that looked bad. Yeah, um, pretty much. But thankfully, the NRL doesn't deal in green sausages. They just deal with proper normal ones. Yeah, meaty, hefty, thick, <laughs> thick sausages. Does the NRL put the the onions on top, or do they go the the Bunnings approach and put them on the bottom to be uh, socially responsible? Oh yeah, it, like you got to put them on the bottom because if somebody drops their sausage, it can be a slip hazard. Yeah, that's that's possibly true. Yeah, so we've got rules. Like when it comes, you've 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 got to basically hold your sausage with both hands so it doesn't become a slip slip hazard. And there's a a uh, maximum girth requirement, a, a minimum one, and a maximum for girth of a sausage. Um, very, very big on that in NRL headquarters. As um, you should be, as you should be. I was yeah, going to say, like, yeah. remember remember a, a couple of elections ago when, uh, what's his name, that politician grabbed the sausage and, and it took a bite from the other side. He, he, he ate it weird. Yeah. Yeah, we don't allow that. It's no. got to be straight down the gullet. Well, that is un-Australian. Yeah. I mean, sausage sandwiches are are designed in nature to be smashed. Mm. You don't yeah. just nibble at them and, and use different... Just smash that thing. Just get it in your gullet. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's fair enough, too. That That's that's rule 101 in the Australian Constitution is how to eat a sausage sandwich. That's what the man in the street wants. That's exactly right. Uh, on that note, um, thanks for giving us all of that insight. No, no worries, any time. And um, if you want to check out the, uh, you want to get in touch with Fergo on the Freak, you can get in touch on the, uh, Twitter at Fergo Freak Pod, and you can drop us an email podcast at leaguefreak.com. You got any questions for the great man next to us here? Um, other than that, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.